KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. Accountability and community strength are key for people battling addiction. But what happens when that gets taken away because of a pandemic? Jerry Stoller has dedicated much of his professional life to addiction research. He's a clinical psychologist and a professor in Temple University's Department of Geography and Urban Studies. So right now with the coronavirus pandemic, there's circumstances like social distancing and self-isolation. Why are circumstances like that so dangerous for somebody suffering with addiction? Some people actually talk about addiction in terms of a condition of social isolation, you know, because being alone, dealing with stress, any kind of anxiety condition, etc., it all tends to promote substance-using behaviors. And so, you know, one of the the things that people talk about in terms of healing in their recovery from addiction is sort of going in the opposite direction, right? It's sort of social support, being with people, not being socially isolated. You know, unfortunately, the COVID-19 pandemic is creating a situation that really plays into kind of the worst aspects of addiction, you know, the kinds of things that tends to make addiction worse for people. So it's really a very challenging situation for for people who are, you know, in recovery and for people who are trying to help others in recovery. Right. And some providers are turning towards telephone or video meetings. Is there any type of research or proof to suggest that these types of meetings are effective just as much as an in-person one? You know, that's a really good question, Uh, and I'm sure there's a fair amount of research that's been done. But, you know, I think it's sort of a necessity at this point, whether the evidence points to it being as good as in-person contact, because at this point, there's not a lot of choice that we have, you know, in certain contexts, you know, so... For people who are seeing a counselor on an individual basis, my gut opinion is probably it may not feel as good or, or be as effective, perhaps, but it's certainly much better than not having contact. You know, it's sort of a, you know, in some ways, a stopgap kind of uh, intervention. I, I myself had a... Uh, actually had a tele my first telehealth appointment with my primary care physician um, where I had a cold you know and a cough and I was you know nervous was kind of lingering and the thought of going to you know my doctor's office you know commuting out there sitting in a waiting room having to wait I um, I called the office they had telehealth uh, appointments only downloaded an app went online. Um, There she was. We had our consultation and it actually worked great. But this was, you know, this was not a, you know, a counseling, but 
you know, I think it's probably, you know, as people get used to telehealth, it will most likely be, you know, an important additional tool in the arsenal of of helping people. Um, It's a very efficient tool. Whether it takes the place of in-person meetings, uh, like support, you know, 12-step meetings or group meetings, I'm not sure about that. But I think it does occupy a pretty important place in in the uh, arsenal of tools that that people can use to help others in the healthcare field. Right, definitely. I mean, these are such unprecedented times. And considering that this is a public health emergency officially ruled, you know, by the Health and Human Services Secretary, it also opened up practitioners' ability to prescribe without an in-person evaluation. What are the pros and cons of this when it comes to somebody battling addiction? Yeah, I think it it really depends on the individual's risk level. So, for example, somebody who's on a medication for opioid use disorder, buprenorphine, so now you can get, you know, a month's supply, which is good, without having to see your doctor. But you could telecommute, basically, you know, have telehealth sessions as a replacement for in-person, which I think is, you know, is good. I don't know, for some people, the lack of structure may be a problem. For people who are in more stable recovery, it probably isn't going to be a problem at all. So I think it's going to be one of these situations where, it all depends on the individual who is in treatment. I think it's a necessary step, by the way. I think you have to do that. And it may well be fine for the majority of clients, you know, who are receiving medication-assisted treatment. For some, it, it may cause some problems. Right. What would you just suggest for maybe family members or friends who can just watch out for people who are maybe given doses rather than having it given in a kind of protected area of facility. I know some places are sending people home for safety measures rather than keeping them in an inpatient facility. And we're talking about um, people with substance use disorders? Right, right. I I read somewhere that um, they're giving methadone to people to take home rather than having it being given at an in-person clinic. Um, Just what would you suggest for family and friends just to watch out for people um, who have that, you know, in their their belongings? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's a tricky situation and it it probably depends on how things are home are at home um, with family members. Obviously, family members need to be as respectful and supportive of their loved one as possible. But there's risk, you know. There's always, you know, some risk, and probably for many. People who are receiving take-home doses of methadone with a longer time, you know, more uh, more doses to take home rather than, you know, having to go every day or every, you know, several days, um, it may pose some risks. I think one of the things you want to make sure is to always have 
naloxone or Narcan in the house just in case, because people can overdose um, on methadone. They can overdose, obviously, if they're if they have an opioid use disorder. There's always the risk if somebody relapses that they could, you know, overdose. So I think it's really important for family members to have Narcan on hand if somebody in their family has an opioid use disorder or if anybody is even on any kind of opioid pain medication, you know, medically prescribed. I think it's just really important. One of the challenges we have is that there is so much burden now on the healthcare system that if somebody does overdose, um, you know, there could be delays in first responders coming, ambulances, you know, EMTs, there could be delays in that. There could be problems getting people, you know, once they're in the hospital, finding beds. I mean, you know, it just sort of has a um, this huge burden you know, on the healthcare system kind of trickles down to everything, you know, it really does pose, you know, a challenge. So I think to the extent possible, I think anybody who has a family member or anybody living in their house who is a, you know, has the potential for any kind of overdose, they really, really need to be scrupulous in terms of having Narcan on on hand and to be making sure that they're checking on that individual sufficiently frequently (laughs) to make sure they're okay. Right, definitely. And, you know, aside from overdoses, I have a friend who is a psychology apprentice right now, and she keeps talking to me about withdrawal, too. You know, especially when the liquor stores close down. Can you just explain a little bit about withdrawal and why those concerns are so valid? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. If there's so many dimensions to this right. uh, problem, isn't aren't there? Yeah. So, if somebody who has a an alcohol use disorder, for example, what happens with withdrawal? And I'm sure most people know what that is. It's basically, you know, somebody who has an addiction to a substance when they don't get that substance, they, depending on the sub, the substance that it is, you can go into withdrawal. You get very sick. There's a very strong craving. So for people who can't get the substances that their bodies are used to taking, you know, whether it's illicit, whether it's alcohol, it creates all sorts of dysphoria, craving. People can get sick. If you have a opioid use disorder, you could have flu-like symptoms, which is not a good thing these days, right? And I think another thing to also pay attention to you haven't seen that much discussion in the media at least i haven't people who have a substance use disorder particularly those who have an opioid use disorder who have used methamphetamines a lot um smokers all of these problems affect the lungs and kind of contribute to um dysfunction with within the lungs making that person 
even more vulnerable to the uh, ravages of COVID-19. And that's something to really be concerned about. You know, even vaping, they think, could potentially compromise, you know, respiratory functioning. That's another thing to pay attention to. Right. Almost like another underlying condition that people have to watch out for. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So somebody who, particularly those who had chronic problems with with addiction, they're probably, you know, most people have co-occurring various kinds of health problems and conditions. So somebody who is not in uh, the older age bracket that, you know, makes somebody particularly vulnerable, say, to COVID-19. Younger people who've had a lot of uh, addiction problems over the years, they may be much more susceptible because of the damage it has, the, the use of these substances have done to their, you know, respiratory um, areas of the body. So, just another thing, another complication, I suppose. And Jerry, I know that you are a part of the urban studies department at Temple. How do you think the city has been handling this pandemic, especially in neighborhoods like Kensington? I think from what I can gather, the city's been doing a, a pretty good job. I, you know, the um, I have a lot of respect for the health commissioner, Dr. Farley, who is very competent. Um, I think, you know, the city going into um, lockdown, you know, was absolutely necessary. I think that the challenge is, is really kind of a resource challenge. So, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of an organization called Prevention Point Philadelphia, which um, is based in Kensington. It's, um, it's a harm reduction program that serves the most disadvantaged people, particularly in Kensington, mostly injection drug users. They run a syringe exchange program. They provide you know, primary health care services, a drop-in center. They have a couple uh, shelters as well. They've been, you know, over the years, they've largely been responsible for decreasing the uh, incidence of HIV among injection drug users in Philadelphia. So it's a, it's a really tremendous organization that has really been at the epicenter of the uh, opioid overdose epidemic and probably, in my opinion, has probably saved, that organization has probably saved more lives than almost any other in the city. But when you think about the challenges now with the with this pandemic, so they've had to curtail a lot of their services, like their drop-in center. They're not accepting new clients for their uh, uh, medication-assisted treatment program. They've moved their services outdoors because, you know, on a typical day, they might have several hundred people in a very confined space. When they have staff who are getting sick, that means that there's fewer people available to serve. They have a very robust volunteer program that, you know, they have hundreds of volunteers who've helped out, and that has been dramatically curtailed. So there's just less people out there to, to help those most in need. 
The other thing is they're advising people, you know, who are active drug users, injection drug users. It's particularly important not to share cigarettes, you know, not to share pipes, to make sure they're washing their hands before using um because, you know, this is a very at-risk population of, of people in, in this city. And uh, one of the things that they do have, and I'll just have a shameless plug, is they, are, they have an Amazon wish list because uh, they're really like, you know, every healthcare organization, you know, probably in the country, they're struggling, right? Um, it wasn't in their budget to have, you know, PPE. Some of their funding has been curtailed. It's just, it's a really, um, it's a tough situation. So they have a, an Amazon wish list. So if you actually go on to their website, if you just Google Prevention Point Philadelphia, it'll come right up or pponline.org. You can um, click on a tab that says ways to help and you'll see their Amazon wish list. So if people... If any listeners want to um, do a, a good thing and provide some uh, resources uh, and material things for people most in need in our city, they can go ahead and uh, you know make a donation there uh, and order some things on on Amazon. Right. So, uh, Prevention Point is still holding meetings is is that only outside right now? Yes, yeah, so they they you know they run a syringe exchange program, right? Where people, you know, the idea is basically you don't want individuals who are actively injecting, actively using to reuse the same or share needles, right? Because of the danger of, you know, spreading HIV or hep C or any other kind of um infectious disease. So clean needles, um, you know, you, you turn in dirty needles and they get clean needles until, you know, somebody is, it's also a gateway to entering treatment. So when somebody is is ready to enter treatment, they often do so through prevention point and, and they can get into various kinds of treatment or, or and access other services, you know, from the city. They have scaled back some services, but they are also continuing to provide syringe exchange programs. They're still running their shelter. They're still running, you know, most of their services, but certain hours are curtailed and they've moved their operations to, you know, basically being outside because they don't want to have, you know, like, like have their drop-in center where there might be, you know, dozens of people in a small space. They can't have that. So they've had to kind of really adjust their, the services that they offer. Right. I do know there's um, one facility in Bucks County, and uh, honestly, it may have changed at this point, but I know that they were still holding meetings of about five people or so. I mean, just what, what are, I mean, it, you know, it's almost- Is this a 12-step meeting? It it might be. I, 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 forget, I, I forget the name of it, and I don't really want to give it because I don't want to get anybody sure. in trouble, but, you know, it, it it's almost like it's better for people- who are at risk of addiction to still go instead of, you know, staying isolated and continuing to use? Well, a lot of 12-step support meetings are going virtual. (laughs) Um, So a lot of, you know, 
meetings, um, Nornon, you know, Al-Anon, um, AA, NA meetings. They're not meeting in groups. They're actually using Zoom, for example. Some are still continuing to meet, from what I understand, and trying to practice, you know, social distancing and doing the best that they can. But, you know, any time that you have people gathering together, people are being put at risk. So that's why it's it's a really um, very tough situation. I think anybody who is, say, an AA or NA who has a sponsor, you know, hopefully they're checking in with their sponsor more often, do that by phone, obviously. It, it's a really challenging time for people. I, you know, I was trying to rack my brain to see if there's any uh, any positives <laughs> that I could think of that this has brought. Uh, you know, the only I could, the couple of things I could think of, if you're interested in hearing what might be a couple positives, when you start thinking about when people start to initiate into um, drug use, you know, it's usually during adolescence. And so now that the schools are canceled and outside activities are really curtailed and people are stuck at home with their parents, if they're, you know, adolescents, who knows, there might be less access to, uh, to substances, you know, lower incidents. I don't know. And the only other thing I could also think of is, we know that relapses often, there's sort of environmental triggers, you know, the, the old um, adage, people, places, and things, you want to avoid the people, places, and things that are associated with your drug use, if you're trying to maintain sobriety and abstinence. So if people's movements are really curtailed, it may decrease the likelihood of going into the same people and places and, th- and things, unless, of course, that was used in your own home or with people in your house, in which case, I guess, that's, that's not a, a positive. But, but basically, you know, you're really talking about the whole problem that we have in this country around addiction, around the opioid overdose crisis that we've been struggling with for, you know, a number of years. When you kind of layer on the the COVID epidemic, you know, pandemic, it just really creates a situation where it just adds all sorts of layers of complexity and difficulty to an already difficult challenge. And when you add the factors of the economic stresses, you know, people losing their jobs, the anxiety involved with just sort of day-to-day living and worrying about COVID-19, the stress that people are under, it's not a good brew for people who, you know, may be struggling with substance use problems in the first place. Because we know that stress is really related to making things much worse for people who are trying to, you know, who are in recovery already or trying to curtail their use. That is true. I I do I do like the positives though. Positives are always needed right now. <laughs> <laughs> I I wish I could come up with some more. I mean, uh, maybe you know there we'll learn more efficiencies about offering telehealth sessions because it'll be in such wide use, which could be a great tool for supporting people in in recovery. But 
you know, for those who are, you know, in homeless shelters and residential treatment or incarcerated, who may be at risk because of comorbid health situations. It's a really very um, frightening time, I think. Right. And just, Jerry, if you could give some general advice, maybe for family members or loved ones uh, who have somebody with an addiction, what can they do right now during this pandemic to just support them? The stigma that is unfortunately attached to this um, disorder, you know, substance use disorder, um, really creates so many uh, difficulties for people who are struggling with addiction. And it's very easy for people to forget that this is somebody that their loved one or their friend who is struggling with, with this problem, that they really need still, you know, the, the, the basic human qualities of dignity and respect and, and support. You know, I think it's very easily easy to forget, you know, when people talk about, oh, you got to be careful not to enable them, not to support their addiction. And all of that is absolutely true. But at the same time, people who are struggling with addiction still need those basic human qualities of connection with with their loved ones with understanding and and patience and uh, so if somebody has a family member I think it's really important even more important during these times you know of stress to reach out to them to connect with them to stay in touch with them to listen to them to um, offer whatever help and support that they can offer to them and to just know that um, like anybody else who is struggling with any kind of uh, medical or you know psych mental health disorder you know they're doing the best that they can and um, you know we just need to stay connected and and um, offer hope um, as much as we can, especially during these very challenging times. Jerry, thank you so much for joining me on In Depth. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. That's it for this episode of KYW In Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area or how it's affecting you, subscribe to the KYW In Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese, and we'll have another episode out soon.